Uh, I told Renard I was going to read the first part because it's not fair when you throw weird Bible words on people at the Sunday service. So today's sermon is called Change the Narrative, but I'm going to read the first part and then Renard's going to pick it up in verse 3. This is what we covered last week, but it helps set the tone for this week. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. See, it's not fair if I just asked him to read those without any without any uh, background. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 3. All right. Uh, <clears throat> Hello, New City. Um, blessed be the God, Father, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this even though now for a short time. If necessary, you suffer grief and various trials so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, rich, though perishable, is refined by fire may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you're not seeing him now, you believe in him. And you rejoice with an inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that will come to you, search and carefully investigate it. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that will follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. These things have not been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. The narrative has changed about Christians and about the Christian faith. The narrative has changed in our culture about Christians and the Christian faith. And the Christian faith is no longer welcome in the culture. It's been moved to the outside. It's seen as detrimental uh, to the country by many. I was talking with a pastor friend recently, and he was talking to a city official here in South Florida, and that city official told him, a pastor, the city official said, in the district that I'm creating, there is no place for a church. No place for a church. The narrative is changing about Christians and, and Christianity. Maybe some of you saw uh, this week the video that happened related to a political appointment that happened in office. And I don't, I don't want to get into politics. I know we have a diverse political body, and I like that. Uh, but what was communicated through that appointment is uh, we don't want the Christian faith to lead our country. There's no room for the Christian faith. Now, I thought that was ironic because that that's an idea that's um, spreading in our culture. And I had friends who were both progressive and liberal and conservative that said, you know, that's, that, that's really not fair because you're not allowed to be banned from political office because of your religious beliefs. 
But that's what was said in this appointment. And if you see the video, you know what I'm talking about. The ironic thing, I think, is that um, the person was being excluded for their religious beliefs, even though the person coming against them was saying, listen, you're excluding people for your, because of your religious beliefs. That was the irony of it all. People were mad that because of our belief in Jesus, we believe there's one path to Jesus. Well, that means you're excluding people. So we're going to exclude you. We're going to exclude you. So not only our church is not welcome, not only is our faith not welcome, but we begin to wonder, are we welcome? What's the narrative here that's going on? Who are we now in this society? Are we welcome? What's happening to me? What story are we in? We need to change the narrative. We need to change the narrative, but we don't necessarily need to change the narrative out there. Society thinks of Christians and of Christian faith what they want to. I think we have to start by changing the narrative in here. And that's exactly what Peter gets at today. In the backdrop of everything that's happening of these people who are exiles in Asia Minor, he's telling them, you need to change the narrative in here. As you engage society and they push you to the outskirts, as as you engage the culture and they say, we don't want your Jesus, you need to have something running through your mind. Otherwise, you will allow society to dictate the narrative in your mind. You need to have a narrative running that's according to God's perspective. You need to change the narrative according to God's story. You need to change the narrative in your mind so that it's aligned with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And only then, as you change the narrative here, can you engage out there. We've talked about it. It, it, the, The problem, I think, with many Christian responses to what's going on is anger, frustration, grasping on for power. And Peter doesn't start off with a strategy. He starts off with worship. Blessed be the God. In the midst of everything that's going on in society and, and the pressures on you, you need to start by recentering yourself on God. Like the planets aligning themselves around the sun, it is crazy to think that any planet could be on its own. The gravitational pull of the universe is the sun. The center of worship for us is our God. And we must start there if we're going to even begin to respond appropriately. I know that it's strange to think about worship when your emotions are going all over the place, but I think Eugene Peterson helps us out when he says this, we think that if we don't feel something, there can be no authenticity in doing it, but the wisdom of God says something different, that we can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. Worship is an act that develops feelings for God not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. And so Peter starts off by saying, blessed be the God. Center your lives, center yourself on God. Let that narrative change your thinking. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christians, as Christians, we're totally confused on how to think on God as Father. Some of us think of God as Father as kind of like a sugar daddy. 
Like, we want what's in your hand, but we don't necessarily want you. But if we begin to understand that we don't just have a father, we have the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, meaning that we are in the kind of father-child relationship that Jesus is with with the father. That means that we're not second-rate children. The love of God the Father for us is the same that the love that he has for Christ. Look what Jesus says in John 17. He's praying to his Father, and he says, you have loved them as you have loved me. God the Father loves us like he loves Jesus Christ. And if you begin to understand that as you worship, You're worshiping the God who is the center of the universe, but also your father, your Christian faith begins to explode. In fact, you can measure how much you understand Christianity by how much you make of God your father. J.I. Packer says this, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as father. It's incredible. The God of the universe is committed to father us. He's committed to provide for us. He's committed to be with us and not leave us alone. Here's another way you can measure how much you believe that. What areas in your life are you not obeying him and why? Well, here's why. You probably don't trust him. If you're harboring areas in your life where you say, God the Father, I don't want you to touch these areas in my life, those are the very areas where you don't trust him to father you. You're keeping these idols and treasures and sins because you think they'll provide for you when you're actually enslaved to them. And I would encourage you to lay those down and turn to the God who promises to father you. That's the very type of relationship that Jesus had with God. Jesus, though he knew no sin, he was sinless. He had this relationship with God of love and intimacy and total trust and obedience. We see that in that prayer in the garden. He puts his request before God and says, let this cup pass, but not my will, but yours. Intimacy, but trust and obedience. And we have access to that same father, the one who loves us just like he loved Jesus Christ. Peter will write a little bit later, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but to follow and trust the God of the universe who is now our Father. He will provide. Peter goes on to say, we know he provides because of the great mercy that he has given us. New birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Peter is reminding us of everything that God the Father has already provided for us. He's reminding us of everything that God has given us as his Father. He's been merciful, and he's given us a new birth. See, when Jesus died on the cross, your record got wiped. You were declared righteous in God's eyes, but he also put his spirit inside you. People are seeking after the spiritual life, but you have the spirit of God living inside you so that you can follow God. And you know it's true because you battle against sin now that you used to just follow and submit to. You want to please God. 
You love him. That's because God has provided his spirit and put his spirit inside you. But he's also brought us into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, I find people like this idea of hope, but it's really squishy. They don't have anything concrete. So they say, well, I just got to believe. I just got to have hope about the future. Things will be better. But what if they're not? What if they just get worse? You know, I, I have friends whose families were murdered in tribal warfare in Africa. And what do you tell them? Just have hope? It's not enough. And I think that is where our culture fails to provide an, uh, something concrete. But that's where God provides something for us to have real hope in. That there is an empty tomb where Jesus Christ used to lay, but he lays there no longer. By the power of God, he was resurrected from the dead. He came out of the tomb and he ascended into heaven. And because of his resurrection, because his spirit is in you, his resurrection is now your resurrection. Just as it happened to him, it will happen to you. You can plan what you want to put on your tombstone, but don't think too hard about it because you will not live there forever. You will not be there forever. Do you see how that frames it into something different than just, you just got to have hope. Instead of just hoping that something might happen, we look at some, back at something that did happen and forward at something that will happen because of the resurrection of Jesus. And that changes the way we live our life. Some of you are familiar with a lady named Johnny Erickson Tata. Johnny Erickson is a Christian. In, in 1967, she was in a diving accident where she dove into some water and it left her as a quadriplegic. She was not able to move her arms or her legs for the rest of her life. She was, uh, she's in a wheelchair and she paints, but she paints using a a brush in her mouth. Yet, she's a woman of incredible hope. In fact, she's lived much longer than most quadriplegics have lived. And she said that she resonated with the words of Mary Jane Iron. Mary Jane Iron wrote, one day I shall dig my nails into the earth. Remember, Johnny Erickson can't use her hands. One day I'll bury my face in my pillow. One day I'll stretch myself taut or I'll raise my hands to the sky. Johnny Erickson says she resonated with that and, and she's become a woman of incredible hope because she's let go of her life and she's found hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And she said this, my thoughts haven't been so much on picking up the old life on my feet I left behind in 1967 as much as stepping into the new life and body that await me. A woman who's had an incredibly tragic thing happen to her, but has outlived other people who are in the same position because of her hope in Jesus Christ. Because she's looking forward to something, not looking back at what she lost. Someone said the world offers promises full of emptiness, but the resurrection of Jesus offers emptiness full of promises. An empty tomb full of promises. You need to change the narrative in your mind. You need to change the narrative so that you have hope in the resurrection of Christ. You have hope in the new birth that it's the spirit living inside of you. You need to change the narrative. 
Because what's waiting for you is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. I'm reminded of many people from Cuba who had to flee under Fidel Castro. And the wealth that their family had built up during their time in Cuba was lost once they fled. It was perishable. It was fading. But you have an inheritance that will never perish It's not defiled by evil, and it will never fade away. And you will get that inheritance in the new city, where you will meet Jesus face to face. There'll be no more sin, there'll be no more crying, there'll be no more shame. The old order of things will pass away. The new way, the new creation, the restoration of all things will be your reality to enjoy forever. Christian hope is concrete. That is is yours. It's kept in heaven for you. You need to set your affections and your hope on that truth. Change the narrative. I know you wrestle because I know that you're weak. You wrestle with your faith. Sometimes it's strong. Sometimes it's weak. Sometimes I believe God. Sometimes I struggle to believe God. Change the narrative there as well. Because you are being guarded by God's power through You are being guarded by God's power through faith. That word guarded has to do with a garrison. You can picture an army surrounding you, God's power surrounding you that you hold on to by faith. See, it's often in places of weakness where we sense God's power and his strength and we hold on to him by faith. And that faith keeps us for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter goes on to say that you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief and various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus. I love this. You rejoice in this, even though you suffer grief. You need to feel a freedom as a Christian that you are going to be up and down in the Christian life. This idea that Christians are supposed to be happy all the time isn't true. We suffer grief as Christians. We look around and see a broken world. We live with the lenses on knowing that things are not the way it's supposed to be. And that is a wrestle. That's a struggle for us emotionally. And yet, in that, we find joy. Because we know that God is the ultimate reality no matter what we experience in this life. And one day, he will make all things new. And that gives us a new narrative as we step into hard things in this life. We're allowed to engage things with both grief and joy, suffering and happiness. We also need to change the narrative here that our faith makes everything easy, because it doesn't. Having faith in Jesus Christ actually makes your life harder. It makes your life harder because you have to say no to yourself and yes to God. You have to often say no to other people so that you can say yes to Jesus. But the fact that you wrestle with faith means that it's real. In fact, faith in and of itself is a test. That's what Peter's saying here. Your faith is a test, and it's being refined as you go through life. The the excess that you bring to the table is being drained off. 
You think of an oil refinery and the, the, the goal is to purify the oil. That's what's happening to your faith as you go through hardships and trials. And you take a step into a hard season of life and you ask yourself, do I really believe all this Christian stuff? And you go, yeah, I really believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And all of a sudden your faith is stronger than it was six months ago. But if you had not gone through that hard stuff, it would not have been refined. You suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character of your faith, which is more valuable than gold, though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus. Here's the thing. Peter's trying to tell us that we actually need hardship in order to grow real faith. Because when we start off, our view of God and our view of self is really self-centered. And as we continue on in our faith and as we go through trials and hardships and maybe even a little pushback for our faith, it becomes more genuine. And we realize the depth of our own belief in what Jesus has done for us as we walk through trials and hardships. The excess falls off and the good stuff stays. Our faith grows. And one day that faith in God, guarded by his power, will result in us being face to face with God himself in the new city, where the lamp is the light of the city. Peter's trying to tell us that we actually need pushback on our faith in order to test it as genuine. And as it's tested as genuine, we take the next step and the next step and the next step until we're face to face with Jesus himself. Change the narrative about faith. You need hardships. You don't want hardships and you will never will And I don't want them either, but they're actually good for your faith. They do something positive for your faith. Peter goes on to say, though you have not seen him, faith. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though not seen him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I read a story about a little boy who was asked to wash his hands before he ate dinner. And he said to his mom, germs and Jesus. I hear about them all the time, but I don't see either of them. And what Peter's telling us right now is, yeah, you you don't see Jesus. You don't see Jesus, but you love him because you know what he did for you on the cross. You know that you deserve the judgment from a righteous God. But Jesus Christ, the son of God, the second person of the Trinity came to earth Though he was sinless, he went to the cross for you to bear your sins. He was put on the cross in your place. The wrath of God in that moment was poured out on him. He was put in the tomb and he came back to life and he did it for you and I. And so though we do not see him, we loved him. We love him because he first loved us and because of what he's done for us. Jesus himself said, because you have seen me, he's talking to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Because there will be a moment when we do see him. There will be a moment when we do see him face to face. But now we are seeing him through faith. We are holding on to him by faith. And what I love about this way that Peter puts this is he says, he doesn't just say you believe in doctrine. You believe in things. He says you believe in him. It's relational. 
though you do not see him, you believe in him. Though not seeing him now, you love him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because there will be a moment when we do see him and every day we wake up and get to have friendship with Jesus Christ. We get to have friendship with Jesus Christ. We get to worship him and be in his presence. And now that shapes us because even as you hear it, you begin to long for that reality to come now. And you say it with the author at the very end of the Bible, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. We want to meet you. We want to be in your presence. So you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter is saying, change the narrative. Approach what you're facing in the now with the perspective of eternity. Remember where you are going because that will help you get out of bed every day now. Remembering that your place in eternity is secure. Approach the present with the perspective of forever. Now, I know many people are wrestling with Christians right now. Maybe that's you. Maybe as you, maybe as you engage with Christians, you don't like them. And, and I get that. A lot of people don't, that, and that's okay. Um, and I think there's some room there for us as Christians to reflect because we as Christians have at times thought that our status with God somehow meant we should have a high status in society. The fact that the power of God's at work within us means that we should hold on to power in society. And that's not a biblical concept. I mean, the, it, we can be in power. We can have status. But God never guarantees that, and that's not necessarily part of his purposes here on this earth. And, and I think that Peter's going to lead us into examining that blind spot that we've had. Because the whole pattern of Christian living that, that Peter puts out for us is Jesus suffered and lowered himself, so Christians should lower themselves even if it means suffering. But Jesus was glorified, and so glory's coming. Glory is coming for each and every believer. And so I think that we need to examine that spot. And if you're not a Christian, I would encourage you just to even watch over the next 10, 15 years and see what happens to Christian. Because I think what you'll see is a lot of the excess of what we thought was Christianity fall off. And you'll see genuine Christians loving each other, loving their neighbors, and loving their city as an expression of their faith in Jesus. I think that's what we're going to see. And so I would encourage you, if you're exploring Christianity, to even change the narrative in your own mind for a little bit and maybe reset it and just say, what is Jesus actually teaching? I know we've seen bad expressions of Christianity. We've seen good expressions of Christianity. But go back to the source of what Christ is teaching his people to do in this very kind of moment. And, and I believe that you'll, the narrative will change in your own mind as you look at what Christians do. Peter wants us to know something, though. Even if our status in society drops, even if our power in society drops, we still have a special place of privilege with God. We still have an unbelievable status with our Father. We still have power through the Holy Spirit. Peter goes on to say, that concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated 
They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. It's mango season right now. And before my family left to go out of town, I was told every morning, go check the backyard for mangoes. And if you find any mangoes on the ground, pick them up because the ants will get them and they'll spoil. And so every morning I go to the back door and I look out and I see mangoes that have not yet fallen on the floor, on the ground, but they're getting lower and lower and lower. And I don't know if you're like me, I like mangoes, I really enjoy them. Uh, but in my neighborhood, something funny happens at mango season, and there's just this multitude of mangoes that, ha- that, that, that hit. And so even if you have a mango tree, and your neighbors know you have a mango tree, they will take their excess mangoes and just put them in a bag and put them on your doorknob. And you're like, I don't need these. I already have my own mangoes. But there's an excess and a multitude of mangoes. But I don't think I'm actually going to be here when all the mangoes drop. I'm leaving town to go uh, out of town for four days. And what I've realized is that I've just been checking and investigating when these mangoes were going to drop and everyone could enjoy them, not for myself, but for my family when they come back. Because they're all about to drop, and I know when my kids come back, they're going to enjoy those mangoes. In the same way the prophets of old were investigating, they were looking They were watching. They were examining the scriptures to see when the Messiah would come. And what they began to realize is it's not going to happen while we're alive. It's for someone else to be blessed by. And those people that were blessed by it were these people in Asia Minor, but also you. You live post-resurrection of Jesus, and you get the benefits of knowing the very content of the gospel. They long to look into and understand these things. They wanted to know, how is God going to redeem his people? How is he going to bring them back? How is he going to reconcile us and pay for our sins? And they had these images from the Old Testament, if you've read Isaiah 52 and 53, and some other places in the prophet, but they didn't know what the content was. And you're blessed and you have a special place of status with God because of where you are in history. People long to be able to understand the content of the, co- of the gospel and know that Jesus would die on the cross. And so you have a special place of status and privilege with God just because you live right now as a Christian. You know the gospel. You know what Jesus has done for you. And people for hundreds and hundreds of years wanted to know that. You have a special place. Even though society pushes you out, God has blessed you with the knowledge of Christ. Not only that, though, you are blessed historically, but also cosmically. It goes on to say that angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. I mean, think about it. Angels are in the presence of God. They experience God's glory 24-7, and yet you could almost picture them looking down from heaven going, what's going to happen What is it going to look like when Jesus dies and is glorified and and when the message spreads and when people go and testify about Jesus and the good news of Christ spreads? What's it going to look like? Angels long to catch 
a glimpse of these things, but they don't get to experience. You do. You get to experience the gospel. And so you have a place of privilege with God. And you need to change the narrative. Because as Christianity becomes more and more unpopular, as society says more and more, we don't want your churches, we don't want your beliefs, we don't want you, you will let that narrative define you unless you go here, unless you center yourselves on worship, unless you center yourselves on the gospel and what Christ has done for you, unless you look forward to what's waiting for you in the new city, unless you know that you by faith are in relationship with Jesus. You have to let that define your thinking. You have to let that shape the narrative. And only then, then are you ready to engage a world that might reject you for your faith. Because it's at that very moment that Peter says next, therefore with your minds ready for action. Once the narrative has been changed, you are ready to engage the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are and what you've done on our behalf. And we we pray that we would really have a living hope in you, that you would help us to change the narrative and not let anyone else define who we are or, or, or the hope we have, but let you define it. Oh God, transform us again. In your name we pray, amen. Would you stand and sing with me?